Welcome to the show. On Friday, we had the pleasure of interviewing Senator Ed Markey. Senator Markey is actually a political figure and a uh, public servant who is actually a joy to interview. He's very direct. Uh, he answers the questions. Um, and if he's not going to answer the questions, he tells the question he tells you is not going to answer the question, which I consider a total pleasure. Uh, but generally, he does. He was on his way to Worcester, having given a speech in front of Smith and Wesson at in Springfield, and he was talking about gun violence and the possibility of federal legislation to try to minimize, well, that's not the right word, to try to reduce gun violence in the United States. And that was the topic with which we began our discussion. Senator Markey, thank you so very, very much for being with us. We really appreciate your time. I think I want to start with the question that is most on my mind and I think on the mind of a lot of our listeners, which is, is there a realistic chance for the United States Senate to pass gun safety legislation? Well, I wholeheartedly agree with President Biden. Uh, we have to pass something. Uh, the Republican Party, obviously, has been a wholly owned subsidiary of the NRA. Uh, it makes this um, job much more complicated. But I think that the outrage across our country is putting unprecedented pressure on the Republican Party to at least come to agreement on some gun safety uh, laws that we can pass. Um, that's my hope. But again, history says the NRA will ultimately, through the leadership of the Republican Party, try to block anything from actually passing. So let me stay, if I might, with this question of what's realistic given the politics and given the influence of the NRA. It does seem to me that some legislation might be possible in the sense that, well, maybe you could prohibit guns in sensitive places like legislators, legislatures, or the Congress, or courts, and the like. Um, but really important provisions like background checks uh, or prohibiting the sale of weapons of war um, – that seems to me to not be at all realistic, and I'd appreciate your appraisal. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in agreement that uh, actually having a comprehensive background check um, law be put on the books is something that the NRA is going to vehemently object to. Uh, same thing is true for a ban on assault weapons. Uh, and we, we will need at least 10 Republican votes in order to accomplish those goals. If you, if you want to add in high-capacity magazines or a, a repeal of the um, product liability laws under which the gun industry is protected, uh, yeah, it gets very difficult. But perhaps we could pass some red flag laws so that People who are the most dangerous and have a red flag on them uh, are identified and that uh, there is a process to prevent the sale of weapons to them or the confiscation of guns from those types of individuals. But that all remains to be seen. Uh, and uh, maybe 
at a minimum, we could increase the age for the purchase of an assault weapon from age 18 to 21. Maybe we could get that done. Okay, but again, we're going down the scale in terms of the totality of the solutions that we really should be trying to put on the books. But maybe, just maybe, we could get something like that passed. One last question on this, if I might, Senator. Is there some sense that this will have to be done immediately if it's going to be done at all? I mean, we're we talking about June of 2022, and if not, well, we can say goodbye to this idea this urgent idea for a long time? I do think there is a moment that we're having right now, but the reason that we do is that there's a real movement which is out there. And because we're already in election season and people can feel the danger uh, politically of, of being on the wrong side of gun safety, maybe we can take this opportunity and pass something not everything, but at least something uh, that provides some additional security for people. But uh, I think it will have to happen in the next month, between now and the 4th of July, when Congress recesses again. Senator Market, while we're on the topic of recess coming up soon, I'm wondering if you would share with us your thoughts about whether there are pieces of President Biden's agenda that might still be passed by Congress before recess, which I think as a practical matter means, well, it's going to happen this, what will ha that will make up what happens this term. So you're speaking in addition to gun safety. Yes, I am. Ah, yeah, well, still pending uh, is a, um, a, a fairly significant part of the Build Back Better plan, which would include uh, potentially hundreds of billions of dollars for tax breaks for wind and solar, all electric vehicles, uh, battery storage uh, technologies. I'm still hopeful that we can get a big chunk of that passed. Uh, in addition to uh, uh, child care tax breaks so that uh, parents at home will, would be able to afford uh, child care so that the the parent could get back into the workforce, and some other items like that. Not too expensive. He, he putting a cap on prescription drug prices, for uh, example. Uh, things that uh, that we could break out, agree upon with Joe Manchin, and put it out on the floor, and unfortunately have to do it just with 50 Democrats, and... Um, uh, and have Kamala Harris break the tie so that we can put it onto Joe Biden's desk. But I'm still hopeful that we can accomplish that. And again, I think the 4th of July is a good target uh, for our attempts to complete that, those kinds of orders. Do you have some sense, Senator, that your colleague Joe Manchin would support those pieces of the Build Back Better bill that you just identified? Because his vote is crucial. His vote is crucial. He has not expressed opposition to any of those provisions, and that's why I remain hopeful that uh, teasing out those types of provisions out of the totality of the Build Back Better uh, bill still gives us an opportunity to pass something that would be still historically significant. I have a couple of other topics I would love to touch on with you, Senator, if we might. 
Uh, one is uh, Afghan refugees. I know you're having an event with uh, uh, Congressman Jim McGovern. Could you tell us what you see as the uh, situation and whether or not we are addressing the plight of Afghan refugees correctly, properly, quickly, and effectively? Yeah, that is uh, you know, absolutely um, a, a critical um, question that, um, thank goodness, Worcester is stepping up to, uh, to deal with. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got in Worcester itself uh, 430 Afghans resettled, there's 100 attending schools, 14 pregnant uh, mothers, but we have challenges, housing, education, job opportunities, learning English. Uh, the United States was in Afghanistan for 20 years, so we have a moral responsibility uh, to deal with those who have now fled that country, and in uh, Massachusetts, this may be one of the best places in the United States to be resettled. Uh, as a uh, Afghan uh, refugee, and Worcester together is showing that they can get that work done. So uh, I'm going to be out there with Jim McGovern uh, kind of supporting the program and encouraging uh, even more support to be provided uh, for the communities that deal with this refugee population. Speaking of refugees, I'd like to turn to the Ukraine or to Ukraine for a moment. I'd like your perspective, Senator Mark, if you would, on the state of the war in Ukraine and whether or not the United States is doing all it can, not only militarily, but for the refugees from Ukraine. Well, the United States uh, Congress <clears throat> passed and Joe Biden signed a $40 billion additional relief package for uh, Ukraine, uh, and that support both humanitarian and military, continues to go in. Uh, and I think the Russians, in, uh, on a continuing basis, are realizing uh, that they have bit off a very big challenge. And President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people are truly committed to ensuring that Russia is not successful. Now, that said, in the uh, east and the south in Ukraine, uh, a bitter conflict. Uh, continues on a daily basis. Uh, and uh, the job of NATO uh, or the NATO countries, uh, which have all come together, is to make sure that there's a continuous flow of supplies uh, that go into uh, Ukraine to help President Zelensky and his people to repel uh, the Russians. Uh, ultimately, only a negotiated settlement, a diplomatic settlement, can end this war. We just have to make sure that we provide the resources to Ukraine so that it's done on the most favorable terms possible for that country. Do you see any realistic possibility of a peace settlement anytime soon? It seems to me that this, this is becoming a long, hard, bitter slog that's going to involve a lot of deaths. And there doesn't seem to be a logical endpoint that I can see, and I'd appreciate your telling me I'm wrong. Well, I don't know when it's going to end. It can only end when Ukraine and Russia agree that it will end. But at the same time, uh, there are terrible casualties that are being uh, suffered on both sides on a daily basis. 
so I think ultimately it will be a negotiated settlement, but it will only be something that can occur when the Ukrainian people themselves determine that they're ready for peace and ready to accept whatever settlement ultimately that they can gain with the Russians. But they should also know that in that calculation, that the United States is with them. Uh, and, uh, the Western world is with them uh, so that uh, they're able to cut the, the optimal deal. When that occurs, uh, I think is just a matter of guesswork. Okay. Tomorrow, next week, next month, six months from now, I don't know. And the reason I don't know is that no one else knows either. Senator Markey, I'd like to uh, move to a topic that is uh, all-encompassing of these of these uh, issues that we've discussed. I think, and my personal opinion is that Joe Biden has done an exceptionally effective job when it comes to Ukraine. He is doing as good a job as possible with regard to moving the Build Back Better legislation through Congress that he has taken the right tact with regard to these murders and these mass murders and gun violence in the United States, and that he has done a lot right. And yet every political pundit is saying that in the 2022 elections, the Democrats are going to lose badly. And I would appreciate your telling me why that's wrong, but uh, I would really appreciate your a straightforward assessment of where Democrats stand in terms of the election this year. Okay, and uh, and I'll just finish up on this because there's a bit of political prognostication that's involved in this. But experts believe that there are four Democratic seats in the Senate uh, that are being targeted by the Republicans. Uh, and those seats have excellent incumbents who are Democrats, who are serving in them, and that includes Raphael Warnock, does Herschel Walker running against them in Georgia, uh, and three other states. But we have excellent candidates and a very good chance to hold on. Because simultaneously, there are four seats that are occupied by Republicans right now who are very vulnerable. Pennsylvania, uh, Missouri, uh, Ohio, Wisconsin. And uh, in each case, um, the uh, Republican candidate is well out of the mainstream in terms of their ability to garner support uh, from uh, swing voters, especially in the wake of what the Supreme Court is doing with um, Roe v. Wade uh, and what um, the Republican Party is doing generally to block real gun safety legislation from passing. So it's a relatively small universe of seats. Um, the Republicans and Democrats are going to contest them, but no one has an ability to predict who's going to win Ohio. The just two weeks ago that said that this open seat in Ohio that was held by a Republican, Bob uh, Portman, which is now open, um, J.D. Vance is their candidate, the author. Tim Ryan, the congressman, is our candidate in a poll out just two days ago has that race being a statistical tie. So my perspective is that the Democrats have a very good chance of holding on, but we're just going to have to work hard. We have to not 
agonize, but organize in order to accomplish those goals. So I, I love being on with you guys. Thank you, you know, as usual, for uh, thinking of me and asking me to come on. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to joining you in the future as well. Senator, it's always a great pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so very, very much for your time. Well, thank you. And we will be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. As a business owner, your employees have to look great. That's why, for over 30 years, businesses choose Pacific Printing for customized screen-printed and embroidered shirts, hats, and jackets. And now, with our wide-format printing department, we can create everything from banners, lawn signs, and signage for your custom vehicles. Visit us at Damon Road in Northampton or OceanOfPromotion.com. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The election was not stolen. Trump-appointed judges say it was not stolen. Republican-led investigations say it was not stolen. Republican officials responsible for county votes say it wasn't stolen. And if you're an elected official and you continue smashing the truth, even after all that we have learned about what happened on January 6th, you are supporting fascism. WHMP 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, I'm Mike Buckmaster, Senior Vice President, Commercial Lending at the Greenfield Cooperative Bank and Northampton Co-op Bank Division. We have the best local commercial lending team in the Pioneer Valley. We're an SBA preferred lender, and unlike other banks, each of our team members has individual lending authority for fast local decisions. Hi, I'm Barbara Campbell, Assistant Vice President of Commercial Lending. Whether you're looking for a business loan or a line of credit, we can get your plans off the ground. Come and see us for help. And I'm Jim Alexander, Vice President of Commercial Lending. You can reach any of our experienced commercial loan officers by phone or through bestlocalbank.com. Meet one of us at your business, or any of our locations. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. After two years of looking at each other from their living rooms, Young at Heart is back to perform live the music they've learned over the pandemic. and the world's favorite octogenarian rock and roll chorus is back on stage. Well, get in the road. Thursday, June 9th. Oh, come on now. At the Academy of Music. In the middle of the road, yeah. Performing songs by Bob Dylan, Green Day, Tom Waits, Pretenders, Talking Heads, Bonnie Raitt, and Iggy Pop, just to name a few. Young at Heart put on five virtual concerts over the last two years of the pandemic. But Thursday, June 9th at the Academy of Music, the Young at Heart Chorus presents Young at Heart Back on Stage. Something inside so strong. Young at Heart in its 40th anniversary season. Young at Heart Back on Stage. Thursday, June 9th, 7.30, Academy of Music, Northampton. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. I'd like to commend to your attention two or three pieces in the Daily Hampshire Gazette, one this morning, following up on our discussion with Senator Markey. This headline, it's an Associated Press story, New York Governor Signs Law Raising Age to Own Semi-Automatic Rifle, Dateline Albany, 
New Yorkers under age 21 will be prohibited from buying semi-automatic rifles under a new law signed Monday by the governor, making the state one of the first to enact a major gun control initiative following a wave of deadly mass shootings. The Democratic governor signed 10 gun-related bills, including one that will require micro-stamping in new firearms, which could help law enforcement solve gun-related crimes. Another revised the state's red flag law, which allows courts to temporarily take guns away from people who might be a threat to themselves or others. So it is certainly the view among some state legislators that the ability to regulate gun safety is still part of their prerogatives as lawmakers. I would note that in yesterday's Greenfield Recorder and in Saturday's, the weekend's Daily Hampshire Gazette, I had a piece about abortion and guns, and I'd like to share a couple of paragraphs of that piece, that op-ed. The Supreme Court will soon hand down two decisions that could change the course of this country's history, one on abortion, the other on guns. And then I discuss, as I did in the previous month, a bit about Justice Alito's draft opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization and that opinion which will destroy the right to reproductive choice in the United States and, as drafted, will destroy the constitutional right to privacy as well. I go on to talk about guns, and I wrote this. The Second Amendment provides, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Let's do that again. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the rights of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A principle of constitutional interpretation is that no words in a constitutional provision may be ignored. All must be given meaning. So what did the Supreme Court do with this phrase, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state? It said, those words have no import, no meaning. We can just ignore them in interpreting the Second Amendment, which leaves you with the rights of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed because the rest of it has no meaning, notwithstanding the bedrock principle that every word is supposed to be given meaning. It is an extraordinarily disingenuous opinion, which garnered five votes from the conservative justices uh, in the case of District of Columbia versus Heller, known as the Heller decision. I go on to say in this piece that a bipartisan group of senators has been meeting to see if they can agree on any gun safety laws. The expectations for the success of that endeavor are appropriately muted, and any agreement would be minimal. Here's the ending. We can hope that the Supreme Court's ultra-conservative majority does not feel totally anesthetized from the recent mass murders of black people in elementary school children. We can hope that the court's decision in the pending gun case at the court will not overrule the permissible restrictions uh, that were outlined and are outlined in Heller uh, and will not preclude limitations on the sale of military-style weapons. I say this, after all, a court so concerned about the rights of a fetus might wish to be perceived of as caring at least a fraction as much about the lives of actual children. Before we go to our next break, I want to note the obituary 
in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette for Marsha Burek. Marsha Burek was an extraordinary part of this community for many, many years. She moved here in 1968, as the obituary reports. She became active in politics and community services. She was a press director and speechwriter for organization, organization, organizations excuse me, such as Planned Parenthood, the Institute for International Education, the Fund for Peace. After moving to Northampton, she earned an MA in Urban Studies at Smith and in 1980 became chief aide to the mayor of Northampton for what the obituary describes as a number of interesting years in local government. And indeed, she was an important part of local government and local politics for decades. The obituary goes on to say, although she worked and traveled the world extensively, Northampton was her home. She was deeply involved and committed to the community, its people, and its institutions. She was a longtime and active member of Congregation B'nai Israel. She worked for many years with USAID. She consulted on social services. She worked on best practices in places such as the Baltics, Poland, Nigeria, Gaza, South Africa, and other countries as well. Marsha Burek was known for her incredible warmth and generosity, and she will be dearly missed by all. We'll be right back. Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This week, Massachusetts legislators in the House and Senate could try to override Governor Charlie Baker's veto of the Work and Family Mobility Act. Senator Joe Comerford has been a major proponent of the bill, which would allow non-U.S. citizens to acquire a legal driver's license. We don't see eye to eye with him entirely, but that's okay, right? It's our job to act in the best interests or what we think are the best interests of constituents. And when we disagree with the governor, we override him, which is what we'll do on the Work and Family Mobility Act. The bill passed by a veto-proof majority in both the House and Senate, and legislators expect the override to succeed. A $56 million class action lawsuit over the deadly COVID-19 outbreak at the Soldier's Home in Holyoke is getting closer toward a settlement after a conference between lawyers and a federal judge yesterday. The attorneys answered questions including what will happen if too many plaintiffs in the second class opt out, which could prompt lawyers for the state to void the settlement, and also how the settlement may be affected if other plaintiffs emerge. And five outstanding UMass faculty will be honored with the Manning Prize for Excellence in Teaching. The award is given to educators who show exemplary dedication to students and the university. The faculty members, one from each UMass campus, will receive $10,000 awards in recognition of their commitment to academic excellence. In Amherst, the award goes to Lorraine Cordero, Associate Professor of Nutrition and Director for the Center for Research on Families. Mixture of sun and clouds and windy today with a high of 78 to 82. Showers developing this evening. Could be some heavy rain, even a thunderstorm overnight tonight with a low of 58 to 64. Showers tomorrow morning, then clearing for the afternoon. A high of 76 to 80. More rain here on Thursday with a high in the mid-70s. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
La Oficina de Planificación y Desarrollo Económico de Holyoke, en colaboración con Holyoke Community College y la Cámara de Comercio de Holyoke, dieron inicio el lunes al evento Explore Holyoke Restaurant Week. La semana para explorar los restaurantes de Holyoke estará activa del 6 al 12 de junio y es un festival de celebración con demostraciones de comida de los diversos restaurantes locales que destacarán el arte y la ciencia de la cocina. Los participantes tendrán la oportunidad de realizar un seguimiento de su viaje por la ciudad con un pasaporte gastronómico que enumera todos los restaurantes participantes. Después de visitar un restaurante participante, obtendrá un sello para confirmar su visita. Al final del evento, los pasaportes se podrán utilizar como un cupón y la cantidad de sellos obtenidos corresponderá a un descuento que se puede aplicar después. El pasaporte se puede obtener visitando la oficina de OPED en el anexo a la alcaldía en un restaurante participante o puede descargarlo de exploreholyoke.com. Este nuevo sitio de la ciudad ofrece también información sobre lugares de interés cultural y turístico, así como un calendario de eventos y actividades. En otras informaciones, el ex líder principal del grupo extremista de extrema derecha, Proud Boys, y otros miembros fueron acusados el lunes de conspiración sediciosa, por lo que los fiscales federales dicen que fue un ataque coordinado contra el Capitolio de los Estados Unidos para evitar que el Congreso certificara la victoria electoral del presidente Joe Biden en 2020. La última acusación formal se produce cuando el Comité de la Cámara de Representantes de Estados Unidos, que investiga los disturbios del 6 de enero, se prepara para comenzar las audiencias públicas este jueves en horario de máxima audiencia para presentar sus conclusiones. Están programados para ser juzgados en agosto en la Corte Federal de Washington, D.C. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to NPR. Northampton Poetry Radio with erstwhile Poet Laureate, Rich Michelson. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. You know, um, living in uh, Western Massachusetts uh, is both a blessing and a curse today, uh, as it often is, as life often is, um, a blessing because we are surrounded by so many world-renowned poets, the best of the best, uh, often live here and work here, a curse because uh, sometimes they're reading at the same time and you have to decide where to go. So tonight, tonight, okay, um, if you're not at a poetry reading tonight, I want to see the note from your doctor because we have two amazing poets on the show. We have two readings tonight. Uh, we have Magdalena Gomez, who is the uh, Springfield Poet Laureate, and we'll have her in a moment. And we have Paul Mariani, uh, one of the uh, most respected, well-known poets this country has ever produced. Uh, they are both reading this evening. Uh, Magdalena is reading at 7 o'clock tonight uh, the first in-person uh, event for Straw Dog Writers Night Out, the Western Mass Writers Guild. Uh, she is reading at, what does this say, um, a place called R. Michelson Galleries in Northampton, Massachusetts. I've heard of it. I think I've been there every day for the last 41 years of my life. Um, and uh, it says here, I'm reading from the press release, um, the Michelson Gallery is donating 20% of all purchases. On, really? I don't know, I gotta talk to my staff. Um, to any Straw Dog Writers Guild for their annual fundraiser, if you are thinking of buying art from Michelson's, June 7th is the time, that's what it says. I guess it's too late for me to take that back. Um, 
Magdalena, welcome to the show. We're going to start with you. Thank you so much. And um, happy to be here. Well, it's great. Let me just say that people don't know uh, you are, as I said, the poet laureate, of, or were the poet laureate of Springfield, Massius. Uh, are you still? still? All right, good, sweet. All right, we, we're still in there. You're also an Academy of American Poets Laureate Fellow in 2021. Uh, you are an author, a performance poet, a playwright, a librettist, uh, and may I say a badass womanist. I'm allowed to say that it's on your site. Um, <laughs> and uh, author of Shameless Woman. And you have a new book out, um, just out, which you will be reading from tonight, called Mihai. Uh, a memoir noir, noir, uh, there we go, I can't even do uh, English. Anyways, uh, Bill was just talking about how, um, how the Supreme Court doesn't think uh, words have meaning, but tonight we've uh, got poets reading and they give words back meaning. Uh, your book is published by Heliotrope Books. It is a hybrid of pose prose, poetry, and a dream journal, uh, excerpts with code switching throughout. And it chronicles the first 19 years of your life. So tell me, is this, did you start writing this as, um, as a um, memoir, or were you just writing various po poems, prose, et cetera, and then later decided to bring it together? How, how did this come about? Uh, this book was very intentionally planned out as a memoir that included you know, the various forms of writing that I do. And my intention for writing this book, um, it's not really, I didn't really write it for myself. I wrote it for a time when um, there has been an escalation in the abuse, neglect, and erasure of children of human beings. There's a rise in traumatic events. There's a rise in mental illness. And so I wanted to share some of my story um, from going from trauma to triumph. And I wanted to do it with humor because I, I wrote this book really to encourage others to know that it is possible to get to the other side. Well, People see it's very strong and, you know, they have uh, certain ideas about, you know, who I've been and how I've lived. And most of those presumptions are wrong. <laughs> Well, I, what, I, what I would love is to, and then continue, I would love to hear a piece of this, if you can read us something, so people get a taste of what they can hear tonight. Absolutely. Um, all of the chapters have a texture title, and this one is Pulpwood. And this is a section from the library. When I was eight years old, I had trouble figuring out the Dewey Decimal System, so this is what I did instead. Melville Dewey did for books what Abraham tried to do with the stars. Plays. Okay, walk the aisle with eyes closed. Hand facing books inches away. Feel for the heat. O'Neill, Ionesco, Genet, Behan, Pirandello, Lorca, Miller, Arrabal, Artaud, Jarry, all men. But Lorca? He is so much more than a man. I read his poem, The Little Mute Boy, in a book forced between the plays, and I fall in love. I whisper into the book, you look so much like my papi. Poetry, feel for the heat, more than one voice guiding me, not a voice at all, a feeling like the bottom of the ocean welcoming me to walk, to breathe, teaching me 
that the impossible is just a bad idea, not a reality. Chinese women poets. Thank you, Arthur Whaley. Robert Frost, Tennyson, Keats, essays, feel for the heat. A collection of poetry by Ralph Waldo Emerson falls open to words by poet William Cowper. I would not enter in my list of friends who needlessly sets foot upon a worm. Those words set my moral compass in a steadfast direction. Ralph Waldo and me, a red pencil hard in my notebook. Lorca is a different love. I don't know why. His hand fits perfectly inside of mine. I can wear his shoes. He fits into mine. We share a hat. We both like it when rust spreads on cement. Barnacles live on wood. Scars form on flesh. None of the other kids know about Lorca or Ralph Waldo, at least not the way I do. I can't tell anyone. I find Lorca in English only, except when we meet in the spaces between words, not taught, not learned, not preached, born to know what others don't want to know. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is, you've been listening to Magdalena Gomez. She is reading tonight, tonight, don't miss it, at 7 to 9 for the Straw Dogs Writers Night Out at R. Michelson Galleries. Uh, that's right in the center of Main Street in Northampton. Uh, that just gives you a taste of what you're going to hear tonight. Moving words have meanings. Uh, poets give them meaning. Uh, I, I've had a chance to read some of, uh, you know, what you sent me, Magdalena. It was moving, funny, funny, people like that, okay? Yeah. Um, and uh, deep no and need to great. traumatize people. <laughs> okay. um, and uh, I hope you can make it. Um, again, I am uh, sad that um, I wish you and Paul were reading together because I think you will hear uh, in a moment uh, you both go back to the masters and uh, and follow that long line of poetry. Uh, you are listening to NPR, Northampton Poetry Radio, the Bill Newman Show. You're Bill Newman, right? Uh, on WHMP, we will be right back. Custom-made furniture. Sounds expensive. Could you see yourself spending $3,000 for a beautiful cherry bed frame? Maybe not. But how about $1,000 for a bed frame made by a craftsperson right here in Western Mass? Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. Supply chains are unpredictable. You hear about people still waiting for a bed they paid for a year ago. I've been working with local woodworkers and furniture makers, and it turns out they can make you a bed frame for a very reasonable price. A bed made for you by someone you could actually bump into at the grocery store. I kind of love that. They can make a desk that'll fit where other desks won't. Or... Maybe you'll walk into Talon Furniture and fall in love with the sofa. Can you buy it, or do you have to order it? You can buy anything right off the floor at Talon and take it home today. Why wait? Talon Furniture, the small, slightly impatient furniture store, just down the hill from Amherst College. I'm going down to the corner store. It sounds like the beginning of an old chestnut from a mainly bygone era. Unless you're at the corner of Maine and Chestnut in Florence. Then when you say you're going down to the corner store, you mean Cooper's Corner. 
And when you walk in, you might feel like you've stepped into a bygone era. It's not too big, not too fancy. Your neighbor is the person behind the counter. And Cooper's is the kind of corner market that's cornered the market on everything on your shopping list. Well, almost everything. Trash bags, cilantro, dish soap, pork chops, tempeh, paper towels, Riesling. And like the corner stores of old, but with a very Florence flourish, Cooper's Corner is still a mom and pop shop, supporting the other mom and pops in the valley. Salad greens from Hadley, coffee roasted in Northampton, honey from Deerfield, kombucha from Greenfield, and they've got all the stuff you need from farther afield too. Greek olive oil, Italian pasta, German Riesling, Cooper's Corner, an old chestnut of a corner store on the corner of Maine and Chestnut in Florence. Open at 6 a.m. every day of the year. Pie is like duct tape. It fixes everything. We must have pie, the great playwright David Mamet said. Stress cannot exist in the presence of a pie. So you go to Paul and Elizabeth's. You order a slice of pie. Or you call and order a whole pie. I'll pick it up Saturday. They make cream pies at Paul and Elizabeth's and fruit pies. Whatever's in season. Peach pie in deep summer. Apple in fall. Pie fixes everything. Therefore, Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant is a repair shop inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. It's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your spring-summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance. Which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. This is Bill Newman, WHM. Basically kissing them. And this is NPR. NPR. <laughs> Northampton Poetry Radio. We're back. Um, and now we are going to turn to Paul Mariani, um, one of my dearest friends. When I moved to this area in 1979, uh, the first uh, person I met was a young visual artist by the name of Barry Mosier. Um, and I went to his studio, and he showed me some engravings he was working on uh, for a young poet, or had just finished, uh, for a first book called Timing Devices. Uh, I fell in love with the book. Uh, and later fell in love with the man who has been a mentor and a friend to me and so many other poets in this valley, uh, Paul Mariani. He has a brand new book out, brand new. It is called All That Will Be New. Uh, it is from Slant Books, uh, I think one of the uh, best new literary publishers this country has seen. Uh, I would say that even if they were not publishing my next book. <laughs> but uh, in fact, I think I told you that before um, they took it. I was just amazed they did your last book as well, Ordinary Time. Um, Paul is the preeminent biographer of poets of our time, William Carlos Williams, Gerard Manley Hopkins, Hart Crane, Wallace Stevens, John Berryman. If you want to know about poetry, you go to Paul's books. Um, in some ways, however, I think because you've been such a prominent biographer uh, that sometimes your poetry has gotten overlooked. Uh, I'm glad to see that in the last couple of years, you are enjoying a late flowering of work, uh, two books in three years, two years, um, both in slant books. Um, it's great to see that, Paul. Are you, you're like back to poetry every day now. That's right, every day, yeah. Closer. Um, and um, the, uh, this book was written 
really during the pandemic days, right? You That's were home. Correct, and Rich. Yeah, I made a I made a, a, a vow in a sense uh, uh, for January. I said I'm going to write one line of poetry a day, and of course, one sometimes turns to two, to four, to eight, etc. So that m many of these poems were written uh, during the COVID period from January 1st until about March 15th, yeah. And uh, I, it, it just blossomed for me. I mean, it, I've never done, you know, gotten this many poems done as quickly as this. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was amazing. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, I want to tell people that you will be reading yes. tonight yes. as well in Montague, 34 Main Street, Montague's Common Hall at 715. Uh, you will be introduced by our dear friend yes, uh, and poet and National Book Award winner, Martina Spada, yes. uh, who is, I think, our most frequent guest on this show, <laughs> almost a co-host. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be an incredible reading for folks. Uh, I'd like to start out with a poem. I, sure. I want people to hear your voice. So okay. um, let's, uh, let's start yes. with I maybe a, a local hero. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, uh, it's funny, uh, when Eileen and I got married on our honeymoon, we came up to Amherst so that I could visit Emily Dickinson's home. <laughs> I mean, it goes back that far, you know, this, uh, this love of, of Emily Dickinson, who's just a genius. Uh, I just, she just continues to wow me. All right. so and the, and the, the poems, love of Eileen, too. Let's put that in there. You guys are a great couple. <laughs> so uh, there's a poem here that I wrote using her forms. Um, the ballad form, the hymnal form. It's called Emily Waves from a Bedroom Window as We Pass By. And I, I have to tell you how many times I've driven down that street looking at that window, you know. The drumbeat of your church hymn form, your four threes, four threes riffling on, those ghosts beneath your evergreens gathering as the sun goes down. I felt a funeral in my brain, you sighed, full knowing well what were the deaths of A and B that soon the bell would have to knell for you as well across the land of goldenrod and rose as now those gentian flocks perk up and tilt their parasols and shadows gather once again across that open field, all headed for the burial ground where secrets must stay sealed. Yes, once again, we mourn your loss as now we follow after, hoping to learn as time treads on the courage of your laughter. That's Paul Mariani, who will be reading from his book, All That Will Be New, tonight, 34 Main Street, Montague's Common Hall, introduced by our friend Martina Spada. Um, so just like um, Magdalena, when we were talking about, and she was um, saying how important these poets were to her and her development, uh, your book is filled with homages to the yes. great poets of the past uh, and the most recent past as well, your dear friend Phil Levine, yes. uh, Robert Pack. Yes. Um, a lot of uh, writers are, you know, you're, you're both uh, celebrating them. Um, 
commemorating them, mourning them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so much of that. And uh, I noticed there's also a lot of um, a lot of spiritual yearning, in, in a sense, moving yes. towards death, if I dare say it, in this book. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, I know that in the past, uh, when we think of the great artists, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, uh, and the great writers like Dante, uh, you have a poem that mimics Dante's style. Yes, that, the um, yeah. in, in, in this, which I thought was just an amazingly moving poem. Um, these are poets who are dealing with faith and wrestling with it. Yes. Um, how does it, uh, I know you are, you know, have a very strong, um, I was very strong faith, maybe you want to talk about it a little bit. How does it inform this work, poetry, faith, how does it come together? Uh, a lot of these poems are, are prayers and are real wrestling with. Yeah, that seems to be, for me, it's the central issue, the central question, you know, What's the meaning of life? Where are we going? Where are we headed? Is, you know, is this a journey? And if it's a journey, where is it headed to? Uh, in that poem that you mentioned, uh, Dante, uh, my beloved uh, mentor, Alan Mandelbaum, who was a translator of uh, Dante and Ovid and others, but he becomes my guide through the underworld as I meet each of the poets that I wrote these, that I spent 40 years writing biographies about, and now I speak to them again uh, towards the end of my own journey. Um, but yes, uh, I think one of the images that I keep coming back to is, uh, is the breaking of the bread, just the sense of a meal coming together. Uh, now, uh, from my own perspective as a uh, Catholic writer, uh, this breaking of the bread is the communion that we, you know, to share. And that's been, uh, I think, something very important uh, to my, my shaping. Uh, my oldest son, for example, is a Jesuit priest who teaches Chinese out in Santa Clara. But uh, again and again, there's humor, there's tragedy, and a sense, uh, you know, how do I anchor it? What is it? Where does it go for me? So there's a lot of darkness in here, too. There's a lot of COVID poems. Uh, there's one about that mad... Forgive me, that uh, former president. <laughs> just we just beat you. That's all. <laughs> just drives me crazy if, I, if I'm allowed to say that uh, for the way he handled things. But uh, you know, there's all this going on. I mean, there's Ukraine now, et cetera. Each day I wake up and you know, there's oh boy, Uvalde, et cetera. How do I deal with these things? How do you? How does one? And how does it? How do you articulate it, Rich? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I think you have reached the stage in life, Paul, where, um, where we have a lot to learn from you. I think that the uh, poem that you just mentioned is one of the great poems in English that I've read. I think it's wonderful. It's great to have it in this book. Uh, I would have loved to have um, had you read it here. Maybe Bill will invite us back and give us the whole show. It's a long poem. <laughs> Two um, days. But, uh, <laughs> We'll do that. Um, but uh, tonight, you can hear Paul in Montague at 34 Main Street. And I just want to say, because I know a lot of you are, you know, uh, are now like renting your, just in, where do I go? How do I, you know, hear all these wonderful things? Um, I, I do want to say that you can also hear Paul Mariani read on June 14th over Zoom um, at 8 p.m., 
again, he will be with uh, our National Book Award winner, Martina Spada. Uh, if you go to Slant Books, Slant Books, and here you read your Emily poem, I don't have to explain to people in this neighborhood how Slant Books got its name. We're going to leave it at that. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, we've got Emily. Um, that's how we're going to tell it. If you go to Slant, Slant Books, Slant, yeah. you will have a link to uh, hear you June 14th at Zoom. And to be fair, I also want to say that uh, if you want to hear Magdalena Gomez and you can't make it tonight because you're going to Paul Mariani, uh, she will be reading June 9th, Thursday, June 9th at the Brightlit Branch of Springfield Library. Um, and so uh, you'll both have a second chance. Um, and uh, Tell us one more time uh, tonight's readings, tonight, please. Tonight? 34 Main Street, Paul Mariani, Montague Common Hall at 7.15. And tonight, Magdalena Gomez, 7 to 9, for the Straw Dogs Writers Night Out at R. Michelson Galleries, 132 Main Street, the center of Northampton. We are blessed. We are truly blessed. Words matter. Poetry matters. We've got some of the best here. Paul, you have been a friend, a mentor, I thank you for joining me today. Thank you. And um, I hope everybody will pick up this book. All that will be new, Slant Books, it's available. Get it. You will not be disappointed. Thank you. Rich Michelson, Paul Mariani, thank you both so very, very much. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday highbrow? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Highbrow Wood-Fired Kitchen and Bar is one of the exciting restaurant experiences in downtown Northampton. Highbrow features cutting-edge American food and the best wood-fired pizza in town. Meatball pie, chev, and truffle mushroom. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. If you are facing foreclosure on your house or apartment and want to stay in your home, you may call the Franklin County Foreclosure Working Group. We have volunteers who can inform you of your rights as a homeowner or tenant. This information can help avoid or delay eviction. Call us at 413-684-TEAM, T-E-A-M, or write us at franklin.county.homes at gmail.com. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock.